There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 730. This episode is my friend Dave Yarveski, uh, aka Yarvo, who directed the Hive, which we are distributing as Nerdist. Uh, it'll be coming out on BOD soon, but uh, we're doing a very special event, a live event in theaters near you one day, Monday, September 14th at 7.30 p.m. If you go to NerdistHive.com, you can get tickets and info, but come out. We shot a bunch of extra content uh, around that uh, that's going to air before while you're sitting and waiting to see the movie. Uh, but the movie is fucking fantastic, and I'm not just saying that because we're distributing it. We wouldn't be distributing it if I didn't think it was rad, uh, but Dave's a nice guy, and so uh, we, we had him on the podcast because uh, he essentially just went out and made the movie uh which is what we always encourage you to do not you don't have to make movies but just make your goddamn thing and uh dave's a really good guy we were friends for a while and so i was excited to have him on and please 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 uh come out and join us on september 14th to see the hive and if you can't it'll be out on vod soon so uh here we go there's podcast number 730 uh with my pal yarvo from the hive katie start the thing now entering Nerdist.com. Oh my god! Yeah. I love that movie. Katie is currently setting up a microphone for Kyle. Who was just here taking show notes, but Anthony Hickox is his name, yes. the director, Anthony Hickox. Waxwork, too. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Waxwork because Jerry Ryan just posted a picture of her and Zach Galligan. Uh, was Zach not in Waxwork, yeah, the original yeah, Waxwork? Yeah. yeah. Zach... Uh, just to post post a picture of just like a dude, just like a dude, just like a regular looking dude. And I'm like, who is that guy? Oh my god, that's Zach Galligan. Because he doesn't have the big fluffy, you know, like the the hair, the big that was hair his anymore. Charm that was his the charm. Yeah, man of all every man. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I was a, I was a I was a Zach Galligan fan. So I'm very happy to hear that that you guys are bringing waxwork back into the public consciousness. No, I I, I was literally talking about. I was literally like telling a friend of mine how great Waxworks Two was, and and uh, and I was at La Poubelle, and someone tapped me on the shoulder, and he went, "Are you talking about my movie?" It was Anthony Hickox. He was he was sitting right behind me, the director of Waxworks. That is the like, that is the, the, the gorgeous nature of La Poubelle, also known <laughs> yeah, yeah, as the I, little trash can. I guess so. Which is it's French for little trash can. Is it really? Yes, it's uh, that's on Franklin. That that's been there. I went to. Uh, I I know that I knew the kid in high school whose parents own La Poubelle, and they opened it. I guess in the seventies when that area it's right next to the UCB theater. Yeah, 
that area was a was a, not a great area at the time, but they wanted they wanted to open this cool little social club type restaurant for people, and it's just been there ever since. Interesting, yeah. And, and now it's now it's fucking hipster bar. Like it's super, it's super slick. It is La Poubelle, and they have delicious Brussels sprouts. But uh, but I avoided <laughs> because <laughs> of the parking. Ones? <laughs> yeah, yeah, parking. yeah, yeah. Parking's parking's real bad around. There's no parking there. Time. You always mm-hmm. gotta. You have to valet your car I've there. I've second then... thought gigs at UCB before because <laughs> there's no to place park. to park. Oh, I don't that know. That whole this. region is just <laughs> it's impossible. Uh, Yarbo and I did a two-hour um, uh, nationwide radio tour this oh, morning. Oh, fun! I bet that was great. We talked to a different or someone connects you to a different station every ten minutes, and it's it's been it's been really interesting because this movie that we're distributing with him, The Hive, it's very difficult to talk about because you can't. The second the movie starts, there's this mystery that unfolds, and you can't give it away. And so when you're talking about the movie, it's like, well, it's – you got to see it. But it's a horror, but it's sci-fi, but it's a love story, but it's a thriller. And it, It's the first question everyone asks. Yeah. The first question is, oh, so what's your movie about? It, you feel so standoffish because <laughs> you're like, well, I don't really want to tell you what it's about. I want you to see it and find out and learn. Oh, yeah. People don't want to learn. They don't want to feel like an immediately like a wiener. Like, well, you got to find out doing the reading rainbow. Tool. Well, they don't, <laughs> but they don't want to. No one wants to do any research for themselves. They just want to <laughs> they just want to get the cliff note on everything. And then tell but, me about the thing. But it, it, <laughs> it really is. You know, it really is one of those movies that you kind of have to see. And it's not it has elements of things. So like you. There is an element of memento to yeah. it, but yeah, there's sure. a little bit of an element of Evil Dead to it. But it's not it's not really like anything, so you can't you can't even really describe it in, in analogous terms or anything, because it's like, well it just it's just fun. Go fucking see it. Go yeah. goddamn see the movie. I'm super stoked for it. Jonah is normally one of my like like arbiters for cool stuff coming back from him from Fantastic Fest. Yeah. And that was one of the ones that he just, just gushed and gushed and gushed about. And I was like, all right, this seems like it's legit. I got it. That's so nice of him to to done that. Yeah, I, I, I met I actually met him like officially right after he saw the film. Uh he he ended up uh I think he ended up at my house for some, one of some party or something and he was like, "Oh, you did the hive. Oh, yeah, I quite liked it." And I was like, "Oh, wow, that's cool." Cuz I I knew of him and I I and and I and I knew that he was going to see it and so I, you know, nice. you always get a little nervous when Oh, when, for sure. You know, you're you're like, "Oh, oh no, what what is someone going to think?" What's you know? scarier, your friend I is it scarier for your friends to see something or people that you don't know? Well, with this movie in particular, I feel pretty confident that my friends are going to like it because I think there's so much of me in it. So, so I think that when you know a friend of mine watches it, they're just going to sit there the whole time and shake their head and go, "Oh my god, that's so Dave!" But <laughs> <laughs> that's so Davin. <laughs> this, yeah. No, it was not bad. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> but but when uh, when uh, uh, an audience who doesn't know me sees it, you know, I guess I'm putting a little bit up of myself on the screen for rejection. So I think that's a little scarier or, or approval, you know? Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, they're both a little scary, but 89 minutes of just Yarvo dick pics. He's yeah. really putting himself on the screen. <laughs> yeah. The time. That's why I don't want to tell anyone the plot. It's just, it's just my dick. The whole there's five minutes of setup and then it just holds on a dick for the, the rest of the movie. The hive is actually but, like, he's, it's like 300 dick pics all together. Look like a beehive. I don't think yeah. it holds on the dick, but the rest of the movie, you still hear the audio of the rest of the film, but they yeah. put, they put like a steady cam just holding. Well, that's on why it's so dick. revolutionary. No one's ever thought to just do an 80, like an hour and a half long dick pic movie with the audio 
plot Spike going Jones on. crushed up his program at the film festival. Was like, oh, you got ahead of me. Beat you to it. <laughs> beat you to it. Spike. Damn you, we are about to dream for too long, and someone beats you to it. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny is that I didn't really, I hadn't made the connection between you when I very first heard about the movie. I hadn't made the connection because. Dave and I actually know each other from because uh, we Dave's really good friends with James Gunn and I'm friends with James oh, and so okay. you know James would have these really great parties like fun gaming parties like his White Elephant Christmas party is so much fun it is and yeah. and they're just they're really cool parties with really nice people really cool creative people and so you know I knew I knew Dave from that but I, when I had heard Dave Yarvesky like I didn't immediately make the connection of Yarvo like I hadn't really. But then it all clicked. I'm like, oh my god, this is faded. Yeah, this movie that I that I really like is a guy that I already like, and That's it's all rad. it all makes sense now. It all makes sense. It, you know, it's funny because uh, you know uh, I, I wondered that. You know, when when I had heard that there's a conversation. You know, you make your movie, and then the producers are like, we're gonna go do this. You yeah. know, so uh, um, so I had heard. Uh, nerdist and i was like yes 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 uh but i i there was a part of me that was just wondering like if you like if you had put together that it was me or if you weren't sure Th- that or... proves that i actually liked the movie because i it was i hadn't put it together right away yeah and i already liked it and then when i found out and i was like oh my god that's this is perfect because <laughs> <laughs> cool. we had um you know, we we helped distribute a movie a few years back called Zero Charisma, and it was, you know, a similar situation where they had already made the movie, and we just kind of we we, ta- we tacked on very late in the process to just kind of help them get it out on VOD. But we've been much more involved with this with you to really try to make it more of an event, which is why we're doing these um, we're doing these Fathom event screenings on the September fourteenth, Monday the fourteenth at seven thirty p.m. Oh, cool! So like like a big like multi yeah yeah. So cool. in, you know, in a ton of theaters around the country, we're just going to screen this as a one time only event because we really, I don't know, we wanted it to feel theatrical and we yeah. wanted it to feel like it's just it's one of those movies that you should see with other people and we don't. We so take for granted, and I'm guilty of it. Lydia and I just like, oh, what you know, what's on iTunes or Shutter or or, or or Netflix, you know, and we watch in our bed, yeah, you know. But to but the idea of like going and seeing a you know a horror horror comedy, horror like and comedy, you, you have, have you should see, with, see with other people, absolutely, and the two most shut in types of people. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. The people who want to go nowhere. But yeah, it's, it's like the, the the two things I'm fixated on are both those things, and it is weird. Like more and more, I'm, it's cool because those Fathom events, like when they've been doing the, the cinematic Titanic and things, it's cool to like find a way to get people out of the house and make stuff feel like an event because to me that seems like it's harder and harder to it's do. harder and harder because people don't have to and human beings when faced with convenience versus a potentially fun experience will usually choose convenience yeah. but but you but i find the times that when i even if i'm cranky and i go i don't feel like going i guess i'll go to this thing and then i go and i go well, i can't believe i would have missed out on that just by doing nothing i do that all the time yeah, for sure all the time i'm like oh my god i i was so close to not coming to this and i had such a good time well this movie in particular is it's so stunning visually that you you need to see it on a large like you should see it in a way that it was intended so you can really Thank soak you. up i mean the movie is almost like a fucking painting like it's so it just it's so cool to look at I definitely got like a City of Lost Children kind of vibe. With so, it, that like you need like we haven't had one of those in a while. Like a visual like scary 
genre kind of movie in that kind of like the way that a bunch of that French 90s stuff was going. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the trend right now is to be very like low contrast and to be very like grounded in like real normalism. Yeah. And and yeah, I definitely didn't go that way with this. There's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of pink. There's a lot of bright, crazy colors. And there's a lot. I mean, I mean, I really tried to design a visual aesthetic for the world. You Are you a Gaspar No fan? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, to be honest, and it's funny that you, uh, we were talking about this the other day, um, and I don't know if you know this about the movie, but one of my biggest inspirations for the film was Bioshock Infinite, and you would never, oh shit, you would never know that, like seeing the movie, like, uh, we both, on your that's, faces. The, that's <laughs> Nerdist podcast, yeah. the look on both your faces the- was classic, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I literally finished that game, and I just, like, I, I just, like, turned, like my buddy who I was playing with, he he left, and I was just sitting on the couch, and I sat, probably sat in silence for like an hour. I was right about to write the hive, and I was like, "Wow!" Like the way they explored the idea of like multiple universes, right? Um, was the way I wanted to explore the concepts in the hive, oh, like to the furthest extent that I possibly could. And so I didn't. So so I, like I knew that going into it, and I knew that was my motivational force, but I didn't ever. It, like I, I didn't take the aesthetic of Bioshock given like you don't see it and think that but it's funny because I walked out of Fantastic Fest and literally the first tweet I saw was someone said it reminded me of System Shock 2 like cool movie reminded me of System Shock 2 and I was like how did you even like get that from That's it awesome but well, yeah I mean there's a there for me it was always you know the last like 20 minutes of that game is are on, like such a emotional and psychological head fuck because yeah. it changes the way you look at space and time yeah the the other yeah it to- it totally does it's it's so impactful impactful I mean that's that's what and it is you're basically just walking through doors and having your mind blown constantly yeah yeah and we went for for pre production uh, we hacked it to work on the Oculus Rift oh and shit. so like every Friday night we had like Oculus Rift night in my house for just sanity and so so that first hour of just walking around it's like Disneyland with you know oh, walking through Columbia yeah walking through Columbia yeah. with the DK two just like the sense of scale like you just look up or look over an edge and it's just or ride a rail when you That's ride so a rail cool. it's just insane it's so crazy oh, no I got now I don't oh, I've man. been having the itch come, recently come to over. play it again we'll like, we'll do it we'll do I've it I've been craving I, it. I'm gonna have an Oculus Rift now. After all this, I, I'm trying to re get that going because I miss it so much. I've just been so busy. I've had like the the big giant like eight men robot things just like running through my head, and I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta scratch this. <laughs> it just has to happen. Just all of that, uh, just the, just all of the propaganda stuff and the and the the uh, uh, that kind of weird warped patriotism storyline. Going through the museum where they tell sort of the alternate history going through yes. it feels like it's just familiar enough to be really unsettling. I'm going to say it. I fucking love Ken Levine. Yeah, I fucking love Ken Levine. I, I love Ken, Ken Levine. Levine. I've never met him. I hope to one he day, but I would actually he's real cool. I will introduce you to him. Please do. He's oh. a wonderful man. He's oh, exactly yeah. what you hope he's going to be. Oh, don't tell me that. That no. makes me more excited. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> going to happen. But it, uh, you know, it, I know that you worked a lot. Uh, I know you've worked a lot in commercials. And I know you worked a lot in uh, shooting music videos. And that yeah. was. Do you did you find that that was an invaluable experience? To I mean, 
being able to cut your teeth in those areas before you do a full feature length film. If if I didn't have that, I don't know where I'd be because you know this was an incredibly small budgeted movie. But what I did have was a stockpile of favors that my crew owed me or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, but I had you know a, a, a relationship with a director of photography who like we don't even need to like say sentences. I could just like look at him and he knows what I want. We, I have a workflow that I have established with him in terms of how we light and color a shot in real time. How like, much do you do when you're shooting versus post? Like In terms of coloring? Yeah. I, As, you, you'd be shocked, but I, I, the way I've always done it, because I work in such high contrast, uh, is that I, um, we light a scene and then we bring we bring it up there. It was upstairs, but we bring it into the computer, and I, I they give me like twenty minutes, and I color the shot, um, and then we put load it load my color look into the camera. Oh, interesting. And then I know not many people do it, but it's so effective. And then and then and then my DP relights for that because what happens is when you start getting those crazy contrast levels, like something that you didn't even realize will just disappear in the blackness, and yeah. so you can't push it as far as you would have if you had lit for it. So, so that gives you the power to kind of really create like these images and see what they're so the actual for some of the looks this isn't true about all the looks but for especially the first scene and a lot of that setup the the actual what it looks like in the theater and what it looked like on set are so close. See, I'm an aspiring filmmaker, and that's something I've been really adamant about trying to do is set up as much visually on, in camera, in shot, before you start shooting, so to not fall totally dependent on post. So I'll really tell you, nice I know exactly get. what you guys are saying. You know, on Instagram, when I pick a filter, it's like, <laughs> do I go Lark? What, you know, like Nashville, everything's brighter, but it has a certain <laughs> look, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, Clarendon's good, but then you gotta go in and adjust. I really like crema. So I, I really understand. Like I really get exactly what you guys are talking about. I am also a filmmaker. <laughs> what did you shoot it on? I'm also a film filterer. <laughs> we, we shot. We shot on two. We shot on two red epics. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, it was cool. It allowed us to do a lot of high speed. There's a lot of high speeds. Oh, gangs right in it. And I always like high speed. I was like. Uh, early phantom adopter i'd shoot like a lot of like thousand frames once you see that thousand frame shot it's hard to not want to put it in everything it's hard to not want to put it in everything uh yeah i love you know i love doing that kind of stuff and the red the red stuff is is interesting i mean i can nerd talk about red stuff all day long you know uh but um i don't know if that's what you want. No, you absolutely can i mean it's it's you know the thing that i one of the reasons why i love horror horror and comedy again are two genres that i feel like you in a lot of cases are almost hurt by having too much of a budget agreed because when you can fall back on money i feel like that saps some of the creative choices that you would have to make and i think some of what's fun about watching horror movies and, and comedies but horrors and horror in particular is is seeing the steeplechase of getting around resources to create a story and to create visuals and so when you watch you know, when you watch a movie like like The Hive, or you watch, you know, like you watch a movie that's super really creative, and you know they didn't spend a lot of money. You uh, there's the extra emotional points that oh, you yeah. throw because you're like, wow, they. 
and then you look at other movies and you go, well, fucking, you have no excuse, Transformers or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you have no excuse, big budget movies. Like, if this guy is able to, you know, like the first time you saw District 9, and you're like, well, no one else has an excuse to make a shitty sci-fi movie now because this guy did it with almost no money. Like, there's no excuse anymore. You just you just have to be good and clear and have your vision strong. I, I know. I feel like I've done a bit of a disservice because uh, uh, for other filmmakers because I, I was, I mean, the, we, we were able to make an incredibly visual looking movie on, on a like you know found footage horror budget you know what i mean but it's not but a found that, footage but it's movie. not found yeah. footage at all it's a really cinematic sam raimi thing. was doing back in the day so like there's definitely a lineage for that for the, being able to build a visual language with no money like that, but that's who i grew up on sam right? raimi peter jackson yeah, like that best. was it yeah and and it was so cool to see them like the Dowdle brothers, to me, have sort of been starting to push into that direction too. Because when you watch like the Poughkeepsie tapes, you're like, "These are great filmmakers." Now you're watching like their No Escape, that new movie coming out, and you're just like, "See, they were good from jump." It's cool <laughs> yeah. to see, like, well, but you know, because and what's interesting is that a lot of directors too, and it's you know one of the things that I think is so amazing about about James Gunn is that absolutely we talked about this on the radio a little bit this morning, but you know when when you find someone who is good at telling a visual story. It doesn't matter what limitations or no limitations you give them. They will still – like seeing that the same guy made Slither, that made Super, that made Guardians. Like that's like three completely different types of movies with completely different types of stories that he was able to make work given what he was given resource-wise in each one of those situations. And a lot of guys can't – don't necessarily make the jump because they're so used to making intimate movies that when you give them all of the resources – they don't know how to expend them properly, and like that, and th- and that's that's where I I totally see you headed in that direction, <laughs> well, thank you. because it's so you know this this idea of of you know visual storytelling doesn't it's helpful to have money in some cases, but you don't need it like as long as you know you know so how much of the how done was the hive before day one of shooting, um, it, 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 like. I mean, I'll tell you how meticulous I am in terms of process and and how we're able to establish looks like we were able to do. And this will be another kind of like nerdy conversation, but I mean, I guess it's perfect place for it. Um, But on this sports based podcast, (laughs) well, okay, then we'll get back those socks scores, socks and pussies. Yeah, (laughs) I'm so used to being interviewed and not getting it, not getting into the like meticulous details of like you know just saying things like it's about a guy in a room. So so being able Peter Jackson, you mean he, the former president? No, 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 no. That was. I don't understand that because, like, you can watch the movie and find out what it's about. Like, I want to hear how a director approaches making art. To so, me, what's, that's what's the meticulous? What's so, the meticulous so, part? So, here's 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 what we did. I had the production designer build an identical version of that the main set because a, a lot of the movie takes place on this set, right? And so, so w- w- there are all these different kinds of activities that happen in the room, right? So, there's a side of the room where, like, if you look at it. Uh, we've designed it so basically it was designed to scale for these lord of the rings toys so like so like you know um bilbo baggins was our our adam character and <laughs> you know like we had all these toys and we we're playing with them and and anyways um so i'm trying to create a, a a way to shoot it so that every time something kind of romantic or sweet happens we're facing this way in the room and every time we're something mysterious or mystery memento oriented happens we're facing what we were calling the wonder wall uh, on set you know like this sort of like mysterious corner and every time something scary happens we're facing this way so there's two That's some hitchcock shit <laughs> there's there's two components to it is one is evolving each 
corner of the room further and further in that direction. So, for example, in the scary corner, like a light starts to tweak out. So now anytime we face that way, there's like flashing coming and, and it's all backlit. So it's creating shadows and making things scary at the same time. You know, on the other side of the room, there's all these like lamps laid out and, you know, there's like this really floral um, uh, wallpaper and it's just it's like a warmer corner. And so it it creates an environment for like, you know, romance and things like that. So 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 I created a little like rail on rails roller coaster through the room, how all the events unfold, you know, so that there's a constant even though we're in one room, there's a constant evolving aesthetic. That's that, awesome. That happens in the film. Yeah, yeah. And and did you find did, does this planning that way? How 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 does that scale up? And then when you go and everything's like one to one scale, <laughs> and you're using people like ah oh, shit. He doesn't like like Bilbo lit. I think I think everyone hated me because because what happened is. So so the room's evolving and then you know there is an infection element to this movie and in it there's five there's actually if you watch the movie and you really start counting there's five stages to each person who's infected of a, a, a look of how that looks in each stage and then each character at some point has some kind of a thing going on so I would literally have to I mean you go psychotic because I'd go to set and I'd be like okay so we're at stage three lighting uh, the room is at stage four. Uh, he's on sta- he's at stage one. She's on stage three B, but after the blood gag and the tar gag, he- he's on stage four. Everyone was like, "What the hell?" Is-? You know, it was like it- it's like a-, a almost a bureaucratic nightmare in terms of like <laughs> you know all the sort of number and lettering systems. That's that kind of were- like how like because I presume like you're shooting at a sequence too, so that kind of seems brilliant though because that's the only way you can keep track of all that stuff. Well, well, I mean that was the other aspect of the movie that I think worked for us was that. I, when I designed the movie, I knew that we were going to have no money. So I built like a system of checks and balances so that I could <laughs> always cover my ass. So what we did was we shot like nine days and then we went on hiatus for two weeks and I cut all the stuff outside of that room and I put it all together and I could see like, okay, this didn't work. This, you know, this isn't clear here. This isn't whatever. Cause you know, we're shooting so fast. We're shooting, you know, 50, 50 plus takes or not takes 50 setups a day uh, or more. And then, and then, so, so I had time in like two weeks to cut a rough cut of the film, look at it, uh, and then make adjustments on the fly to, to, uh, the stuff that happens in the room so that as he's piecing these puzzle pieces together, if one of them doesn't connect, he can make the connection. He can, I can add a line to clarify the memory that he just had or whatever it is to make to make the whole thing smooth. And so How I much re- were you cutting your uh, like in your head as you were putting together your shot list for it? I, you know, before I anyone paid me to direct, I was an editor. I cut a lot of things. I, I was doing like early. I had I remember this is weird, but I, I, I remember having a meeting in a in a in a internet marketing company for music uh for music talent a long time ago and as an editor and they came to me and they're like so on the internet you can do something where you like post a video (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute what (laughs) yeah you can post video online and so and well how would you even put your quicktime movie on the internet i mean you'd have to get the source code you'd have to put it on it just feels like, and you're paying for bandwidth. You have, I mean, to have it's the not, right plugins. It's not possible. Yeah. It's not possible. This was the conversation, <laughs> and, and, and I, I, so immediately I started getting hired to cut and create all this content for all these like artists, you know, like web viral content, so to speak. And so, 
And so um, I was pumping out these things like just left and right. I mean, just like go. And this was at the time when it would be like, you know, let's say Good Charlotte or something like that would would get on the camera and they go, they go, hey, uh, we're Good Charlotte. Thanks for coming to our website. And like the kids would genuinely be excited to see that video. A splash page. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. It's not even a splash page. It's it's more like it's more like somewhere on the front page there was like a blue link that you clicked on and you could download the video in 30 oh, seconds God, or 45 that. seconds and watch it. And wow. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was I think way back. I you know, do, do you recommend <laughs> for anyone who wants to be a director, looked. do you recommend them starting as an editor? Do you recommend them get, having a lot of editing uh, knowledge first? I recommend them truly searching their soul and thinking hard if they can be happy <laughs> doing <laughs> anything else at all if there's any other thing they can do uh and then if the answer is still no um i would recommend do just r- radically pursuing it and and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and and also uh like just constantly push yourself to be better like watch things and say why does that i mean that's the thing i always used to play with myself uh, <laughs> what uh, <laughs> I was, but anytime i'd put on a movie like i'd be shooting home movies as a kid i put on a movie and i'd be like why did the black levels look like that in that movie or that's i didn't know it was black levels but why does why does the shadows look like that there and like crap on my VHS camera? Like why yeah. everything just trying to figure out why it doesn't look as good as that movie. Like why, why? And just push yourself like always to just be better, you know? Absolutely. And, and never, ever, ever allow yourself to sit back and say, well, we didn't have any money. So like, you don't get to sure. do that. You just, it has to be good on its own. I I think I realize. When I hear directors talk, it, it makes me realize, like, yes, I should not be a director because I don't, I don't ever, I don't look at things that way. I don't look at things and and wonder, like, well, how do they frame this, or why, why is the color balance this, or you know, I'm, I, I almost am appreciative that I still just have an audience member's point of view for watching movies, and that I don't get so bogged down in trying to see the matrix code behind how things are made, which I would imagine. Robs you of a tremendous amount of enjoyment when you're watching a movie. I haven't felt I joy it. in a real long time. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't What's look at joy? anything and not f- try to figure out how it works, how they did it, how I could do that with the shit I have for less money. Like that's just my brain with whatever. I get I'm that when at. I'm watching comedy, when when I'm watching like and okay, this is this, and oh, I see where that went. Oh, and isn't it? But just watching a movie, like I don't. It's just oh, this is fun. <laughs> you, you know, I have a lot of friends that are directors, and a lot of them don't think like me. You know, I didn't go to film school. I kind of developed my own thing by being hired and figuring things out, and you know, making a music video that sucked and and hating myself for two <laughs> for two months afterwards, and figuring out why it sucked, and and just finding my own thing. And I know I'm a very technical director. I know that like I'm really overly obsessed with the aesthetics and 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 things like that but but i you know i know a lot of directors who who don't have that brain they're they're way more oriented in in different aspects i think every every director has their things that do you think you got that way though like your way by having to like do everything yourself though too Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of directors who are real loose. He's like, well, I've got a guy who edits for me and a guy who runs the camera. When you don't have those guys, you yeah. look at it totally different. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is very much that, that, I, you know, growing up, I didn't have anyone to do anything. I actually, the funny thing is I originally wanted to be a makeup effects artist when I was like 10 years old. I was like, I want to do makeup effects. And so, and so 
like I started doing these makeup effects, but what I quickly learned as I was doing research is that, like if you don't have a scene for the makeup effects, there there there's nothing to it. So so um, uh, so I started making scenes for myself and quickly came to realize that I actually like making the scene more than the the makeup effect gag. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I from there I just went on and I sort of did everything I could to be on any kind of set or do anything edit light I, you know i did lighting i did everything so so i understood every aspect of set so yeah i mean maybe because i've been so hands-on that i understand what it takes to do what it takes and yeah sometimes especially there are directors who come in and you know they're they're fortunate and they get like you know a very big budget on their first film or whatever it is and so they come in and they know that they've got like a a, a great person doing this and a great person doing this. And the truth is on this film, I really didn't know. Like I constantly was in fear of like, you know, okay, we have a, 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 a an effect here. Is it going to be good? I, I literally like towards the end of the movie started teaching myself like liquid particle systems for <laughs> to, <laughs> to, in, in the fear that like, I wasn't going to be able to get like <laughs> visual effects that I wanted, you know, or that they weren't going to come out. Right. So I was like, Okay, well, it's time to go on YouTube and start watching yep. tutorials on, on like, you well, know, I guess I know how to use Blender now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, but what are you going to do? No, you know, you know, it's that or it doesn't exist. It's like, that well, or it doesn't exist. Like, I don't have the money, you know? Well, so. and, 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 and in a time when people are so judgmental off no information, <laughs> we're, we, we're in the age of the inexperienced expert. Yes. Which is, you know, people hear a, a thing, like a name, or they see a frame of something, or and they instantly form a judgment. Yeah, and partially I understand. There's a lot of things to process, and it's easier for our brains to, you know. But, but one of the things that I was so excited that you were way on board for was we... Um, when we were first looking at the art for the for the poster and for the you know for the key art basically for the in, in iTunes and, and whatnot for VOD, we uh, you know we, we work with this company and they put together a you know like an okay looking like a decent looking poster which was exact what you'd expect like oh the hive okay yeah this looks scary like oh it says <laughs> scary movie and so I I emailed Yarbo and I just said look when you watch horror movies one of the most important things is what is the art. Because that's how you're rifling through stuff. Yep. And if if it seems like there's a little extra care taken with the art, you're, uh, that's a subtle message to your audience that you gave a fuck. And if you gave a fuck enough to make a good piece of art, then you probably gave a fuck of enough to make a movie that's good. And he um, and Dave immediately jumped on. Oh my god! Yes, let's hi- let's hire. You know, like I, there's a couple artists that I really like that that I really like. And so you you track down this amazing painter that created what is ultimately the the art for for the hive. Now. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say two things about that because number one, that is a testament to why I was so happy to to when we were talking about coming to Nerdist, you know what I mean? Because I just knew that you guys would put that kind of attention, that kind of care into it, that another company would be like, let's just make something that looks scary and throw it up there. And, and, and so that was so like empowering that, that conversation, that whole exchange. I mean, it made my, it made me so happy. I'm so glad. Yeah. And then the other thing I want to say to that is, you know, Quint gave us that quote that call that from Ain't It Cool News, Quint, uh, he, he gave us that quote that says that it's Evil Dead versus Memento. He saw it at Fantastic Fest and he said that, 
So a lot of people are constantly saying Evil Dead meets Memento, which is awesome. I love those comparisons, and, and it's pretty accurate. But when I made the movie, I kept saying they live. That's the funny thing is I kept saying they live. And the reason why is they if, if they live is about like slavery to like consumerism, the hive is completely about slavery to social media, you know? Huh. And so when we were making a poster, you know, uh, uh, and again, thanks again. Um, but, w- uh, you know, I, I wanted to go to a graffiti artist. So we found a, a, this cool underground L.A. graffiti artist who literally he sneaks into buildings and splashes paint on the wall and like makes these scary faces, these like oh, screaming rad. demonic faces in the like splats that he does. And it was just like the perfect, you know, conceptual idea to go with the hive, but you know, Shepard Ferry and the whole they live thing with Obey yeah. and all that stuff. So I just thought it, it you know, you know, to, to kind of spiritually match it up. Yeah, spiritually match it up. And who knows if anyone ever I love says those feelings that, where you're like, I know this, no one else is going to know this, yeah. but I'm going to be able to sleep at night. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? No, most people will see the movie and never think <laughs> about they live, you know, because it's, you know, it's such a different kind of movie, but, but there, you know, there are certain moments that yeah i wanted to spiritually match it up i guess nice that's really cool did you know the guy before i know i I knew um my buddy matt uh runs the uh gallery and um i don't know if you guys have ever been to laloo's but is that in the soap factory it's it's in like that's on on over lake it's like it's not in wacko is it it's wacko yeah 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 yeah, yeah, it is in wacko which is the old soap factory oh is that what it is yeah i I, I bought i I just i just bought stuff from there i i bought a i bought a crumb i bought a crumb drawing what that he drew on a on a placemat it just looked like he was at a diner in 1985 and he just did this really cool drawing of a topless lady and uh, and uh, and this kind of like old grizzled looking waitress with a beehive, and her she has these big saggy tits that are out. And from off the camera, I mean, from off the the screen, the the shot, there's a little word bubble that's saying like, "I wouldn't kick her out of bed." And then she's just muttering under her breath, "Thanks a lot, jerk." And uh, and it was that it was that's at, like a perfect crumb piece. It's it's fucking great, and it's framed. It's like a folded placemat. Wow, so you oh see God. like the little the the edges of the placemat and it's uh oh, and it's so got cool. that it's got that 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 meshy texture that that diner placemats fake have grills. it's great <laughs> it's it's really great so yes i do know that gallery and so yeah. does it so what, you probably you probably were talking to matt when you bought it he's you know he's got blonde hair he's a cool dude really cool dude and what's the artist's name uh van sorrow yeah uh, that's the artist's name, and anyway, so so he curates all these amazing shows, and they're sort of like, you know, they're they're kind of like where all this like pop surrealism is spawning from, and I'm a huge fan of the whole pop surrealism yeah, me too. movement. Yeah, I always try. I always this is what I always strive for with my music vi- videos. I always wanted to try to channel the 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 uh, the idea of you know pop surrealism or kind of bring it in on some level it, you know it's difficult to to translate that kind of aesthetic into motion but it, that was always my goal oh interesting yeah. yeah uh and so now that how long did you end up working on the movie like what was the when did it start and two now, years so it's two years i mean it's kind of it's a bit of it's funny because you you work so hard to put something out but then there's a little bit of a mind fuck when you actually put it out then it's not in your control anymore. Like it's about to not be yours anymore, which is strange because you can't control what's going to happen. Hopefully, people see it. Maybe they won't. Hopefully, they like it. Maybe they won't. You don't know what they're going to interpret. Even hearing how what people are comparing it to, it's like, oh wow, I never thought of that. That wasn't in my. You have no control over what happens anymore, and it's almost kind of like letting a kid go off 
It is. That's exactly what it feels like. I mean, for literally the last two years of my life, there hasn't been a day where I, I haven't spent four or five hours at least obsessively thinking or figuring out or trying to solve some kind of solution to some problem that we're having on the film. You know, I mean, I, I, I booked that film, you know, or I wouldn't say book it, but I got the green light on that film to start at least writing it in August of 2013, and we were shooting in December. So I wrote 11 drafts in that time period and went through all the pre-production and then shot it, and then we went 20 weeks in the editing room. So it's just been it's been a, a sprint. It's been a two-year sprint. Does it feel like a relief, or does it feel like, are you a little wistful? It feels surreal. I don't, I don't exactly know how to react. I really don't. I don't. <laughs> I, it doesn't... I don't know. Do you feel like you have like a vestigial arm somewhere? Like, oh, I gotta go and edit the. Oh, it's done. I, I mean, it, it, yeah. I, I, you know, I think the, uh, I, you know, this probably isn't the healthiest thing <laughs> mentally, but I think the only way to sort of let go of it is to just start something else. <laughs> <laughs> you just would have. You have to. I have to. Yeah. You absolutely yeah. would have to. Otherwise, because you can't. You can't do anything about it anymore. No. Like it's beyond. You can't. I mean, I guess technically you could do like. A director's cut, but you're already the, you're the director. You already you already did the director's You'll cut. You'll see the director's cut. So yeah. it's kind of a strange. It's kind of it's kind of strange to just. It's just going to be out there, and we're going to be at the it screening, and I think we're in Burbank. Uh, yeah. But it's all if you go to nerdisthive.com or fathomevents.com, you can find out where it's playing near you. But it's in shit tons of theaters uh, around the country. But it's just such a fun. I mean, even uh, the. Uh, I, without giving too much away, it even sets up that the if you made a sequel, it it wouldn't be a rehash of the first movie. It would be totally. I think I was. I almost kind of thought of it with like House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. It's like you could almost kind of genre jump in the next movie because of where it goes, and when people see that, they'll understand what I'm talking about. Absolutely, it it, it really starts. And also, I'm thinking. Because there's a little bit of an escape the room element too, it would be fucking great for Oculus. Like I, I so want like escape the room Oculus to be a thing. Oh yes, I, I yeah, I dude, I I would go crazy if there was a high Oculus <laughs> experience. I, I would just live there. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I you know it was pretty deliberate. I mean the. I, the way I structured the film, and this probably isn't the best way to write uh, a commercial uh, movie, but I, I broke it, you know, it, it broke down each act into almost a completely different genre, really. I mean, the, uh, the, the way things unfold, you know, it changes pretty dramatically, and it keeps changing. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, and where it gets left with what Carpenter did a lot of that, like in his sort of like prime career, where like a movie starts in one genre and then evolves into other stuff. Yeah, I could, I, yeah, I guess I, I, I never thought about that, but I guess he does. Yeah, Big Trouble in Little China, I always think is the best example. Like starts as one movie and then evolves into this action western, and then is a kung fu movie by the end. Yeah, Ooh, me, Jack Burton. <laughs> it's all in the reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> I, they're not going to try to remake that, are they? Uh, they, they talk are. about it. The, the Rock is supposedly attached, and he's trying to get Carpenter to like give it a thumbs up to do that's, it. That's a tough one to remake. Man. It is a tough one to remake. It was so much of its time. Did you guys see the comic that Errol pa- uh, Eric Powell and John Carpenter did that's the unproduced sequel that he wrote the script for, and then no. when it bombed, they didn't do, so he did it as a comic? It's real cool. It's Jack Burton, the Chinese wild man, driving around. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's real cool. 
that's fantastic. Yeah, let's cool. just do that. Like, why do we need to? <laughs> why do we need to? That's what I always hoped for. That they'd bring back that. Like the opening shot is just the wild man sitting shotgun with Jack Burton. He's got like just stuff that he bought at like truck stops. So like a you know I'm in Florida shirt with like big glasses on. It's great. Yeah, I mean you know what's interesting is in trying to reboot something like that. I mean I think a certain aspect of our culture knows what Big Trouble in Little China is. Most people don't know what it is. So instead of instead of doing something that could bum people out who liked the original just make a separate movie about you know like you could still be the rock in Chinatown yeah. and you could still be you know like pursuing you know well for the record reboot's a buzzword right now it it's is. Ju- it's just a buzzword it's like you know a, a, well remake got used up so remake they got used another up word. so yeah yeah so they just retool retool yeah yeah but I'm always with you where I feel like I want to see the remakes of movies that like were pretty good that you could make. Like we were talking about Waxwork. I don't understand why no one's remaking that movie. People need to go back and make the movies that could that didn't yeah, that didn't quite make it that before. That were almost there that were like an like an eight out of ten or a seven out of ten that you could just make a totally insane movie out of. Here's the thing. And and I know I, I will get flack for this, but I am a fan of a good remake. Yeah. I do. I really like a good remake. I, I I, I I know people are so anti-remake, but when you get someone who has a unique vision of a film and makes their version of that story, I think it's Anybody so cool. who's anti-remake needs to be shown the Evil Dead remake and the Dawn of the Dead remake and be shown that you can Dawn, make yeah. a phenomenal movie out of that but the, Or but Cape Fear. There are some movies that I do think are so specific to the time and also culturally what was going on that yes. made them work. I think there are some movies... Look, you're going to keep fighting me on my Jaws remake, but just hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's, I, and I also think it's movies like, like, like a movie like Real Genius. You can't make that movie again because of its time. It was of its time, and it was that particular. Like, you know, I do, I do think there are some that, you know, maybe if maybe maybe War if, Games is a way different movie now. <laughs> <laughs> it's di- yeah, completely. I still love the original. Yeah, the original still totally holds up. Yeah, so the it's social not that, structure not, of that movie. I'm no not, longer I'm not exists. opposed to. I'm not opposed to remakes in general. I, I just think. That the reason a lot of them get done is not for what you're saying, which is like, you know, I'm all for if someone has a strong vision and they want to, oh, this is, when I was a kid, I always wanted to see it this way. And now we have the technology to make it this way. And it could be really cool like this in a contemporary version of the story. But it's usually all about uh, recognizable IP. Yeah, And it's usually all about, oh, well, we can market this because people recognize this name. And then they just kind of attach someone who's like, oh, yeah, that guy, he took this as a job, but he doesn't really know. It always seems like even if you're going to go that way, just go super out there where they've put a title on it. You've just made a totally different movie. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. It's tough. But I think oftentimes it's the the producers who I, I, I shouldn't say that it's it's like an executive somewhere who's like oh this will be a valuable IP and then it's about who they pick yeah. you know they need to sit across from the person and see if they have a strong vision and are genuinely really excited about the movie and and have a a, a strong idea of what it should be or if they're like oh this this seems like a cool movie because I get excited about stuff like I was. Yeah. I was excited before I saw the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, <laughs> you know. But then I was too. Sam Bears, yeah. but but then but then you know I was like, oh, it just oh, they tried to make it all serious, you know. Like it, it. Freddie's tough. Yeah, he is tough, and and you know, Wes and Robert England spent a long time crafting. Like they had to go through several iterations to kind of get it down, 
You know, he's like the Freddy from the first movie. He's not the Freddy from Dream Warriors. Like, it, yeah. it's, I mean, he is, but he's he's evolved, well, and it's like it's different. Well, and Freddy's the perfect example of something that like every person who directed one of those movies made their own version of Freddy Krueger. Right, yeah. and it's really like interesting to see that like. He gets sillier, but then he's also like then has crazy continuity because there's someone who that was their real hard on for it. Like, right, he's such a like mixed bag of whatever we need him to be that trying to reboot that like goulash of stuff is impossible. <laughs> well, it's also he's he's a heart like you know a, a Freddy is a type of thing that is of an era at yeah. least in his iteration. You know that concept of like. You know, a guy who chases you through your dreams, like, it, it, it is a little bit of that era, and it's so iconic, you know, that you kind of have to reimagine, I mean... I mean, I, I give them credit I, for trying. They yeah, tried. Yeah, like, they tried. I, I think it seemed the, like a the great idea on you know, paper. Oh, wow, Jackie O'Haley, he's fucking amazing. Yeah. Of course, how could this not be amazing? But then there was just something about it. I didn't think it was terrible, but there's just something about it. it was like that's a oh, great one just, where I feel like if they had changed the beats because you kind of watch and you kind of knew the plot that was going to happen because it was such a spot on. I think yeah. w- I think they were also a little caught up in um, in the kind of the the in a post Nolan era where you know it was that idea of like you know let's ima- like let's pretend that Batman was real in our was not comic booky but like real. How would that manifest itself? And I think they kind of did the same thing. Like, how would Freddy Krueger be as real as possible, as opposed to being a a, a, caric- a caricature of of that guy? And it, I guess you know it just it just kind of missed a little bit for me. So I'm not opposed to remakes, but they do have to be. I think they do have to be right. Oh yeah, they oh absolutely yeah yeah. And it, but I love it. I like when if if you take some movie that I love and and get someone who just has a new take on it and even does crazy things like goes in a way different direction you know what like, would you remake if you could have you ever thought about it you I, must have thought about it oh yeah i've thought about it uh, there's uh, it's funny there's a couple that i'm chasing right now so i can't really say any of those but but i, I would i would totally do a remake of uh, nightmare on elm street i would totally do a remake of in the mouth of madness maybe in a few oh, years probably need that'd be in the mouth so of madness. good in that's, that's madness. one that would be perfect that's one that i would just the the things you could do now with the ending that they couldn't do then would just make that movie so cool yeah yeah, you got to recast Vigo in it though again. Yeah, like that's yeah. it's real weird every time he talks. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he is weird. When he talks. <laughs> I forget he's in it too. So every time I'm surprised and weirded out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that movie I think is is just. I mean, that movie could be just amazing. I I could also like I can imagine doing like a Netflix like series. Oh, that'd be of so good. Madness. I would just be really happy about that. Also. Ah, I can't. And you know, there's one movie in particular that I just want to remake so bad, and I'm just begging everyone to let me do it. But I can't. St- I, you know, that's the kind of stuff. Yeah, I for sure. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. I'm not totally fixated on this. Isn't like Mouth of Madness is a Netflix series that works so well. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's that's another dream dream project of mine. But I don't know if that'll. Have, you got to keep know, the opening theme as the theme music for the show, though. Just the real yeah. rock and John Carpenter guitar over books getting printed. I know Schindler's List. That's movie really <laughs> Schindler's List. Schindler's List, uh, but set in the Jar Jar Binks universe. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, you know we we had a conversation. Uh, that's what I was thinking we the had whole a time we had on that the conversation. radio this morning, where someone made a joke about. They said, you know, they said, oh, they asked him if he would want to do one of the Star Wars, you know, movies from the from the like the extended, 
And uh, and he said, sure, of course I would love to to do one of those. And they were like, what if they gave you the Jar Jar movie? And I said, you know what? I actually think you could do something cool with that. Like if you went to the Gungan, if you went to, and like you really Have you heard Dan Telfer's bit because, about because, Jar Jar about him facing war crimes trials <laughs> after the yes. dissolution of the Senate. <laughs> yes, and I'm like, that's the movie I want to see. But I mean, because people, you know, that's what happened with Batman is that everyone, like, no one took it seriously anymore. And so you were coming from a place where you got to completely rework the idea that someone already had of something. And I think you could actually do a cool thing with it because of how people feel about it currently. You know, if it's even moderately different exactly. or cool, people are like, oh, it my God, this is what that, pretty I good. can't believe it. You know, like it, you, yeah. you, you would be able to pull off like a really cool thing with it. I, I, I would totally make it. <laughs> can, can I tell you a, a really stupid story that happened to me once? Uh, a bunch of our fr- me and my friends made a plan that just to be stupid or whatever, we were going to a Halloween party and we were all going to dress up like Jar Jar Binks and we all bought like Jar Jar Binks masks and we just thought it'd be hilarious if 30 people showed up to a party. (laughs) (laughs) That's the future they wanted in 1999. Yeah, it it was. Um, And so I was like, all right, let's do it. Sure enough, no one else did. And so I went to a Halloween party just up like Jar Jar Binks. Oh, your favorite Star Wars character. Yeah. Oh, he's the best, isn't uh, he? I was so unhappy. <laughs> you know, I think it's okay. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's bad enough to dress like Jar Jar Binks, but, but you're. N- I don't think you're allowed to talk like Jar Jar Binks. I think no. that's. I think. I think you, you get need, a lot of trouble for that. You now. need a different voice. <laughs> I think this would have to be Jar Jar now. <laughs> I think I would have. My to name be is Jar Jar, Jar- Binks. <laughs> uh, I had to. I had to. I did the voiceover for a cartoon once that they had to completely rework. It was a. It was a British cartoon. Uh, called Chopsaki Chooks, and it was basically these, these kung fu chickens in a in like a mega mall, and. Uh, and I had to I had to redub one of the voices because it was uh, uh, let's just say real Asiany <laughs> in a way that's not uh, oh, no. better or worse than the Aristocats Asian cats. <laughs> it was so Do they sing in a racist Asian voice? <laughs> but a lot of the, the the problem was, and I had to loop in, and I had to match his lip flaps. But with a different voice, and so I—he's just played him a lot cuter than he, than he, you know. And and the problem was that a lot of the jokes they would written had written in the original version were about how bad his English was, and so it was very difficult to. You just make him Italian. Then it's charming when he doesn't <laughs> Hey, know you English. guys, uh, why don't we use Wait, our kung fu skills? I'm gonna kick you in the face. <laughs> but isn't isn't that? Like, do Italians find that racist? That no, my mom's voice? Italian, and so if they do, I'm I'm immune. Right, right. That's, uh, yeah, because I got I got the Italian blood in me, so it's not. But uh, but, but I, if I but, but, I, but I, I drink a vial I... of Italian blood every day so that I can have the Italian <laughs> blood. Yeah, in me. that makes it okay. But if you but if you did it, <laughs> if I did it, would it be incredibly like with yeah, Italy riot. You know, I don't think so because I don't think that. I I I think it's I think it's offensive when it's when it has historically been used to uh, oppress someone yeah, yeah, and true. to ridicule and bully them. But I don't think like it, you know like I, I think if you went up to an Italian person they're like hey get back into the pizza kitchen I don't think they'd be like hey that really hurts you know like I don't, this is a pasta establishment hey, only I don't like being a bully you know like I don't think they would I think they would probably just beat the shit out of you if they didn't like it yeah that's and probably then, true yeah. uh, or. Or just tell you to fuck off. Like, so Look at this mook, and I'm like, oh, the other Italian. So I think that's probably why. I think that's probably why it's okay. But I hope it's okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's it, it'll it be is. a sad day when we lose 
that voice. Yeah. When, oh, that, no. when that voice is not acceptable. <laughs> That'll when, be when I get real like angry as an old man. I'm like, I've been doing an, like that Italian voice all my life. I'm not going to change now. No, imagine? Grandpa, times are different now. <laughs> can, can you imagine in a hundred years people watching like Mario Brothers and being like, look how racist this was against Italians. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Nintendo did that out there. Like, no, they're not even Italian. Don't worry. We can do this voice forever. Forever. <laughs> they're a whole other animal. <laughs> hey, uh, oh, well, what are they going to do? Uh, hit me with the pizza? Grandpa, please. <laughs> it's so. I'm sorry. He's from a different generation. <laughs> so, so uncool. Yeah, yeah. A different time. They'll be holding up, uh, like, Olive Gardens, like when you look at all like the racist soul food places from like the '60s in the South. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. You you look at historical things, and you're like, how did like they? There was a place called Bojangles Chicken that had a horrifying thing. That'll be the Olive Garden one. Yeah, yeah. you know, when it's you're like... here, your family. <laughs> that's uh, you know, it's oh, I get it. What do I want? More garlic bread or a never-ending? <laughs> what I want a never-ending pasta bowl? This is racist. <laughs> Even though pasta's good, you know, someone's gonna have it. America's gonna go to some have some war with Italy. And it's like, oh, and then they put all the Italians in those pipe world internment camps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Guarded by toothy flowers. Yeah. Oh, come on. You got to put the turtles in here. <laughs> He's not a funny. Ah, uh, the gorilla took on my girlfriend again. <laughs> I'm going to hop into my cart and drive away. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry we got derailed a little bit, Yarmo. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> but yes, it's okay. The Italian voice is okay. 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 Yeah, I'm telling you this is... Uh, for now. For now. Yeah, for 2100. Now. Fucking use it while you can. I'm telling you. Do it while you can. <laughs> I love that mindset. This is going to be offensive tomorrow. we got to get it all Please, out every today. Yeah, you're not, you're not allowed to do anything yourself. anymore. Everyone's upset about anything. <laughs> I don't know what outrage cycle we're in right now, but it, we, could, we could be on the precipice of the, of the Italian voice outrage cycle. We can't, we can't let this opportunity... We cannot let this go. Well, if you if you think about it, like you could see how Mar people could say that Mar, you know, like I, I I'm Jewish, and there's all these like uh, posters of like you know people would post in in Nazi Germany of like caricatures of Jews. You know, you could think that Mario could be like a, a caricature of. Like a racist caricature it could be used in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but not yet. Not so. yet. No, no. I'm talking about in 2100. Okay. Yeah, in 2100, it's not going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know that Scout's real offended by all those old paintings of dogs playing poker. <laughs> Is Scout here? Oh, Scout's over in the corner. Jesus. I always miss the fact that your dog's here, Katie, because the dog's so fucking cool. Yeah, my dog would be like running in circles yeah. right now. Not, not Scout. Scout is uh, Scout is Scout's named ironically. Yeah. Her bones are made of valium. Scout, Scout does not scout at all. Uh, Scout naps a lot. But the hive is... Uh, so when's this bad boy officially out? Well, September 14th is the Fathom Because I've not screening. gotten to score any cool pro- previews for this, and it's, it's prescient to my interest. September 14th is the Fathom event screening. And uh, that'll be at seven thirty, and, and and like I said, it's in it's in you know hundreds of theaters around the country. So if you just if you go to the easiest ones, to remember is nerdisthive.com. That'll take you right to the Fathom Events page and let you get tickets in your area. And nice. Go leave your house and go get your friends together. Get go, those go, friends who used to go to the movies. movies. We shot a bunch of extra stuff to play at the beginning, and so it was oh like, cool. It's like a, you know, like if you get there early, it's like a half hour Nerdist stuff that we shot. And I shot oh some right stuff on. And, and Steve Aoki, who's uh, huge I'm familiar DJ. with Steve him, did the music for the for the. Uh, Steve, <laughs> I've Steve, seen his. Business. Billboard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Steve, Steve, Steve did the music for the movie. He's one of the producers, and uh, and so it's you know it's what fun. a crazy combo of people. Like when you started this movie, was there any party around that's like 
Chris Hardwick and Steve Aoki are going to both be producers on this movie. Honestly, no. Honestly, no. I had no... Not even like wasted drunk could you randomly select that combo of people are going to put your movie out. I know. It's it's crazy. Like, that's so cool. I think it speaks to the movie because people see it and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I want it. This shit has to be seen. Yeah, 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 which is... It just feels like one giant compliment and and, and I I don't know. I, I feel... I don't want to say lucky. I keep saying lucky, but it's not lucky. I mean, I worked really. I worked really hard on it, and and but I I do feel, I guess, fortunate that you know that you guys took a liking to the movie, and and you know. I honestly don't feel like. I mean, to me, it didn't feel like a business decision. It felt like, oh, this is a really cool thing. That I mean, it wasn't like, oh, now we have to start distributing movies. I we saw it. I really liked it. Everyone else really liked it here, and so it was just a question of, oh, how do we share this with people? Because if I like this, I feel like other people who, if you give a shit about what we do, then you will probably like it. Yeah. And so it was really more just – and also just kind of that, that excitement of, oh, wow, you know, like th- there, you know, there's something really special about this. And there's really something special about this director, and we're on the ground floor, and we get to help, we get to help with the discovery process so that you know, in 10 years – when he's you know like making big budget movies and people are like oh yeah Yarvo you know <laughs> like oh we're there on the ground floor you know we get to have like that we get we get to sit there and and cl- clutch each other like grandparents with pride like <laughs> we know it all along <laughs> it's also offensive to old people so, <laughs> yeah. we don't all talk this way we don't the like year- the goddamn Italians <laughs> the year twenty one hundred they're gonna be so mad so at you mad. for that joke <laughs> so <laughs> mad uh, yeah yeah I, I I I hope that I can make that come true for you and I hope you get to say I told just you do so. it for me yeah right? that's don't why do I'm it doing it really count for the art. Do it for me. Otherwise, <laughs> we look like real jerks. <laughs> Remember when we hung out that cool guy? Wish he had made that $200 million super film. <laughs> but it's just a... Uh, it's. It... <laughs> wonder what the next trend is going to be. I wonder what the next trend of movies is going to be like. Underwater movies? What do you think it's going to be? I, I always find trends are reactions to, um, to what's like really popular. So... You know, like right now, everything is like really long shots and really low contrast. So I think the next batch of movies are going to all be in the, in the world of um, uh, what was that Jason Statham movie that was Crank? Oh, Crank! Yeah, it's just going to be like Crank City. That's like twenty 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 twenty. I see that we're people are getting <laughs> real into scope. I feel like that's the thing I keep seeing on the horizon. Everybody's like Quentin did the seventy mil, and now everybody's doing that seventy millimeter shooting for staff. Well, like, what e- literally whatever Quentin Tarantino does becomes, is, cool becomes for the next like thing. Three yeah. years, yeah, it's like everyone. I've literally, makes I saw the trailer for Hateful Eight once, and then saw, heard like five other movies going into production shooting. Oh yeah, I've millimeter. been sent multiple Western scripts. I'm like, <laughs> 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 Come on, just, they just pick are... it up. There's a marketing team that just yanks the film apart, looking yeah. frame by frame. They're this like, movie's called Quint- this movie's called seventy millimeter. Western with N word. Yeah. <laughs> it's different though. It's not the same movie. <laughs> yeah. No, Somewhere I... a sad executive is just pushing that script under a. <laughs> oh, pile. I mean, no, oh, that's, that's not what I was. Saying. Oh no. I I do think there are people whose strategy is like, what is Quentin doing next? Okay, let's let's get on that so that three or four months after it comes out, we can have something. You know. Which is probably smart because whatever he does is pretty great. Well, I, I, c- congratulations. I mean, I know it, n- not just the fact that the movie's coming out, but it's it's very hard to make a movie. It's very hard to make a movie just uh, off your own gumption, <laughs> and it's very. And I know how much work it took to even get to that point. So you should just be proud of yourself 
for the fact that you actually made a thing. You did that the thing is, everybody is sets out to do, and not everybody in does. The world, and then on top of the fact that it's a good thing is uh, is an extra bonus, sweet bonus, uh, <laughs> yeah, is an extra bonus for you. And and you know, I I I, I really I hope people enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. So it Me too. Uh, you know go see it with people at the Fathom event on September fourteenth. If you can't for some reason, it'll be out on VOD soon. We'll announce a release date soon. And uh, and thanks for letting us <laughs> distribute it for you. I mean, it's, oh yeah, it's, it's such an honor. This was so cool. This was so cool. I've heard this podcast and now i'm in the room is this where you guys always do? this is one of a few places we usually record at the at midnight studios oh yeah but we're, we're at nerdist right now uh and this is this is one of the places where we will occasionally record we meltdown is another one like we we it's sort of based on Chris unfortunately it's based on wherever i wherever i am yeah. they, they come to me yeah, yeah well that makes sense you know what i'm not a, i'm not sorry for that i'm busy they come to me hey it's great i literally live down the street from here i could have walked here so I'll, <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, yeah you live in this weird industrial zone well well i live just outside oh, okay. of it. just yeah, outside yeah. the industrial bubble yeah yeah uh cool well uh it, that's it that's uh it. the hive Comes we'll out soon. Yeah, rest, D- Dave, Dave is at Yarvo on uh, on Twitter. So yeah, follow me. Follow him and on. Are you Yarvo on Instagram? I- I'm Yarvo Yarvo on Instagram. Yarvo Yarvo. And Yarvo Licious could Yarvo? have been an option. There was another Yarvo. Oh, fuck. What the fuck? And that poor <laughs> James <laughs> James and all sorts was tagging Yarvo in like every photo oh, no. he would post. And so this this girl out somewhere was just like, "Why is James Gunn tagging me in every one of his photos?" <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, James Gunn obsessed with young girl on Instagram. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought that was my friend. <laughs> sure. I'm Yarvo Yarvo. Yarvo Yarvo on Instagram. All right. Uh, well, hopefully see you at the Hive. Enjoy the burrito. Enjoy your burrito. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges. They will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I hear diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 